0: This is Dennis from Mundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Beta, our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Dr. Barbara DeAngelis, who is um, a world-renowned speaker, influential teacher in the area of spirituality and personal development. She has 16 best-selling books, has sold over 10 million copies that have been published throughout the world. Um, and, uh, more importantly than all this, she's a very dear friend of mine and has been for many years as she is a dear friend of Phil's and Barbara, I want to tell you that it's been incredible pleasure over the years, watching your career blossom, watching your success, uh, reading and, uh, hearing about you and he, and, uh, and, and in many cases, uh, when I mention to people, Oh yeah, no, I know Barbara. Uh, they they tell me their story about how you have influenced and bettered, their life. So congratulations to you, mm. and thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our podcast today.
1: I am so thrilled. Uh, it's one of the highlights of my year so far. We, we were all, um, let's call it, in the spiritual incubators together. <laughs> <The> <laughs> well, little <laughs> We were little baby teachers, baby gurus, baby, whatever we are, and um, to see that light of wisdom and the desire for awakening and the desire to serve and all the things that we all learned originally. We're talking decades ago about, you know, transforming ourselves on the inside so we could serve the world and to see it happening also with both of you has been an absolute joy and uh... and a timeless connection so i'm so happy we're having a reunion and we are welcoming everybody else to be at our reunion party
0: exactly
2: <laughs> and i i want to assure listeners that despite our uh long-standing connection with barbara we will not hesitate to ask difficult <laughs> questions. <laughs>
1: And I will not. I will not hesitate to give brilliant answers. (laughs) 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 Very
2: good. Go ahead. Now we want to talk about your newest book, The Choice for Love. Um, And uh, let me start with a a broad question uh, that would, you know, you can take an hour and a half to answer, but we'll keep it brief. And I'm sure it'll lead to other things. you are best known for your work on relationships and um, but I don't know how many uh, casual uh, the readers of yours uh, realizes you've been um, a dedicated spiritual uh, seeker, practitioner and teacher for um, years now and um, that that, Quest, that deep spiritual quest informs your work about love and relationships. So l- let me ask you w- the <laughs> an easy question. <laughs> There's no doubt a relationship between spiritual development and the capacity to have a healthy love relationship. There's also a relationship in reverse between one's relationship, and one's spiritual development. How do you see that, and how does it inform your work?
1: This is why I love Phil. because <laughs> it, it, No, I'm serious, because there's, there's a tapestry of questions. So the first thing I want to say is um, it is true that when I, in my late 20s, um, after having been a very serious seeker and meditation teacher since I was 18, on my own journey... Uh, started looking around at many people I knew who also had been, you know, in different uh, particular spiritual movements, including the one I was involved in, my own life, and I realized that when my eyes were closed, um, I had, you know, everything was fine, it was when my eyes were open, <laughs> <laughs> and having to deal with things, people, the limit, limitations of the world, that um, the, the same tools that I used to go inward weren't working in the same way. And that's Mm -hmm. when I began to be pulled into getting my master's degree in psychology, trying to understand, you know, how do we bring consciousness to the outer part of our life? How do we bring that same consciousness? What are the rules that work with that? And so I happened to write my first book, How to Make Love All the Time, which was about being in love, actually the the precursor to the choice for love. And it happened to become a super bestseller. And so then I happened to write my next book called Secrets About Men. And then suddenly, as you're saying, I was known as, quote, the relationships person or the love guru or whatever. It was not my intention. Um, and then I was interfacing with my own success and the demands of it. And after three number one best selling books, and of course my publisher was like, now the fourth on sex, I said no. Um, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to be known just for this, and I wrote my fourth book, Real Moments, which was at the time uh, they had a lot of difficulty with the idea was writing a, quote, spiritual book, and it also became a bestseller, and so over the next 10, 15 years, I um, continued to kind of have my feet in both boats, and at a certain point, um, I don't know, when I hit 40, 50, some point, I... I decided to really turn the big ship around and felt that the times were demanding uh, that I fully come out of the closet, in a sense, and focus on the idea of personal and spiritual transformation. And I've been doing that now for 15 years. Um, that's, you know, solely what I do. And uh, it, the funny thing, and I know you relate to this, and I'm going to get to the answer to your other question, um, not an hour and a half, but i will get there, <laughs> is that... People will meet me who, you know, saw you know saw my TV infomercial, which was also huge on relationships, making love work, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll they'll suddenly see one of my new books, Soul Shifts, or this one, and say, "Oh, so it's really great that you got into spirituality." Uh, uh, (laughs) And I say, um, "You know, uh, that's my path. That's who I am. It just so happened that I was applying those principles to a particular field." And as you know from your own personal studies and spiritual growth, everything I say and do and everything I've written, if you really look at it and you understand me and my path, you can see that it's the same principles that work for any kind of spiritual pursuit or wisdom or understanding. Those principles apply to everything from you know, how we give a speech to business. It's all the same. It's all about shifting from the inside, et cetera, et cetera, watering the root and so um, I really haven't come full circle. I've been in a spiral as as life goes. And um, in terms of the idea of relationship and relationship to a spiritual path, to me, uh, Wayne Dyer and I were talking once and we both came up with the same agreement, which was um, that um, relationships are the best seminar in town. Mm-hmm. You know, there is nothing that will... Um, illuminate, challenge, reveal every issue we have, every way we're not grounded in our consciousness or awakening, every place where we are not integrated than being in a relationship. Um, as I always say to you know audiences, especially spiritual audiences, um, everyone knows the experience of, let's say, going off to a retreat by themselves or having a period of time in their life when they're focused mostly on their own inner journey. They're not involved with anyone, and they feel so enlightened, and they feel so steady, and they feel, you know, one with everything, and they think, okay, I'm finally there, and, you know, I'm sure if I do get in a relationship now, you know, none of those old things are going to happen, because I I am feeling so one with myself, and three weeks into a relationship, they're going insane, and that's because, you know, holding our highest consciousness is a lot more challenging when we are faced with uh, somebody else's embodiment and incarnation that isn't part of our universe. And so to me, uh, always, the interfacing between what's on the inside and how we can bring it out fully without any interruption on the outside is where the amazing learning can happen. And it's the practical of the, not just theoretical, but the experiential. It's where we ground it. And to me, that brings in love as what I believe is you know the highest vibrational force in the universe, and that which, when we are in a relationship with somebody, we can practice our spirituality. And I talk a lot in this book and also in my book Soul Shifts about the term practical spirituality, which I know, Phil, you've written beautifully about, um, because to me. Um, bringing those things into life, into speech, into action, into every moment is what it's about, Mm -hmm. not about holding it, not about being a spiritual shopper, not about collecting spiritual experiences, but the embodiment, living, a living exponent of reality, but really living it, not just living it uh, when people are watching us living it. That's my life. That's been my path. So to me, not only do our relationship, we can practice that, but they also, you're right, do inform us. And some people would say challenge our experience of whatever spiritual wholeness or awakening we have, because you could be sitting and meditating or chanting or whatever your practice is and feeling all one with everything until your partner or your child (laughs) Uh or someone does something that is not in your view of how you should be treated or what is right or is embarrassing or is hurtful, and you feel your humanity rise up. So to me, to sum it up, the interface between our humanity and our divinity and how they dance together is what my life's work is about and what The Choice for Love is about and what this conversation is about.
0: Well, 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 I I have a a question before I, I do. Along those lines, I remember years ago going to this meditation retreat meditating for several hours, for several days, coming back to my family thinking I was enlightened. And it was, I think, Thanksgiving, and I have this big Italian family. And I went in the room, and by the end of it, I was in 14 different arguments. And I thought, you know, <laughs> the day I can walk in on a situation like that and come out calm, then I'll know I'm there. And I'm still working on it. But uh, Barbara, let me uh, a question. Your, your new book, The Choice for Love, and in many of your books, your focus has been love. What, how do you define love and has your definition of love changed over the years? And do you think it's a, there's a different definition for love in different cultures? Or is there, how, how would you answer that? Because I don't know how I would answer that question if I were asked it.
1: That's a great question. It's one of the first things I deal with in the book. And to me, it's not that my um, understanding of it has changed, my ability to articulate it. Mm-hmm. has developed, and um, my, my own depth of experience of it has informed that articulation. To me, when we think of love, and of course, love is this force that drives just about everything we do, even in the simple way, where you want to feel good about yourself, and so you you know put on makeup or you eat Hagendas or whatever it is. love, that desire, survival even, is about love. But to me, love is not about a relationship. It's not a bond you feel with somebody. It's not even emotions that you register. To me, love is this supercharged, light-drenched, limitless source field of everything. It is all there is. My own highest spiritual experiences have always been just a complete you know, submerging into a field of love not an experience, but a field. Um, if you, you know, talk to anybody or read about people who've had uh, near-death or out-of-body experiences when they died and came back, they never say, there was nothing. You know, there was nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they're all saying it was, <clears throat> it was love, but not love in the way we experience it. You know, even people who take, you know, certain kinds of drugs will say that. Um, saints and mystics have written about it, you know, Christian mystics, Indian mystics, and but it's it's love of the capital l. It's a different thing. It's not something that is focused on somebody else, but it's that field, and to me, you know we are always in that. It is who we are at our essence. Um, we can't not be that. It is to me, the ultimate energy. And even when we cut ourselves off from it, we're we're still in it. We are it. That's my experience. It's not something I read. It, perhaps it was in the beginning, but it's it's a living experience for me. It's an ecstatic experience for me. And my contention, and I've done this with thousands and thousands and thousands of people in workshops, et cetera, is when we remove either certain habits, certain ways our awareness goes, certain identification with you know the ego blocks defrost a lot of the things that have been there plug our circuitry back in and turn back on to the fullness of who we are uh people will have in in a few seconds experiences of that love Mm -hmm. and i i I do this with strangers i do this with you know i just was speaking at agape michael bernard beckwith's incredible spiritual center and you know in in just taking people on a little meditation and it's not like they're thinking about it, they're experiencing it and to me, that's the great discovery, that's the great treasure, that that's who we are. Then the question is, why don't we feel it? How do we interfere with it? You know, where have we frozen the places to go? But to know that it's there and that we can choose in each moment to find that frequency is really the culmination of everything that I teach, Mm -hmm. if that answers your question.
2: Absolutely. um, along those lines, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is something in the press material for, for um, the choice of love. And that is um, the phrase, uh, your relationship with, ener- with the energy of love itself. Um, and I wanted to ask about what you mean by that. I think you, you, you just touched upon it. And it also in that context... Terms like Shakti, and the uh, the Western term uh, or, or phrase that God is love.
1: Yes, um, wonderful question. I knew I would. This would be the highlight interview of, uh, <laughs> of years. Um, we could. I could just do this forever. Um, the you know the the term you very well know Sat Chidananda, absolute bliss, consciousness. Um, you know, to me, uh, describes. a, a a love that is aware of itself that, you know, creates a sense of bliss. Mm -hmm. You could say that, 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 you know, that term is one word that sums up something. It's not, again, when we think of love as, you know, an emotion or a feeling we're having, but um, to understand that it's, um, it's a, it's a state of a connection with a force of a certain, like I'm going to call it the highest vibration that there is, um, is a very different shift in understanding. And to me, that, that is the experience. And I think uh, for my own journey, um, my first experiences of that call it field um, were revelatory to me because it was very different from the feeling of the flow of that energy when it flows towards a person or when, you know, their waves of their heart are washing up against your waves. That's different. But this is, you know, m- not just my love but what I'm going to say, the love, and my contention is whenever we're feeling any love rising up, we're feeling the love. So let's say, you know, you're sitting around and imagine our hearts are like this reservoir, our personal reservoir where we have the cosmic energy that is our own personal stash of it, in a sense, that flows into us, the metaphysical heart, not the, the you know, physical heart. And um, when somebody... Um, you experience love with someone, you know, your, your child, your grandchild, your dog, whoever it is, your teacher, what's actually happening? Is anybody giving you love? Are they pouring that energy into you? Are they giving you bottles of it? They're not. They're not adding anything to you. What happens is they do something or behave in a way that you're Mind decides is delightful, or you feel the energy of what they're doing, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like a wind on an ocean. The ocean can be still, and but when the wind comes and the waves get really big, which delights us to see, the ocean isn't getting any bigger. It's rising in waves. So to me, the feeling we have of love is the rising of that life force within us, stimulated by the quote wind of something. So, you know, as opposed to, you know, saying to somebody, you know, you know, I love you. You can say your, you know, your, your wind really makes fantastic waves on the the ocean of my, on the ocean (laughs) of my heart, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the waves are rising high, but it's my ocean. It's my water. Now, the opposite is somebody leaves you. They break up with you. They hurt you. And you were feeling one day, you're feeling, I love you. I love you. I love you. And the next day, you know, they're like, they just leave and you're feeling, I hate you, I hate you, nothing, I'm so upset, I feel no love, did they take it away? Did they siphon it off when you were sleeping? Did they steal it from you? You know, Did they put a needle in you and, and take it out? They They can't. Your waves of love have now gone way down. There's nothing. It's flat because of a lot of reasons, including the choice in that moment to stop feeling it. So I remember contemplating this over the years myself. I would be just, you know, so in love and in bliss, and then something would happen, and then I would feel, you know, there's no love, and I think, well, where did it go? Somebody <laughs> take it. Mm-hmm. Isn't it always mine anyway? So, it is always our love, and certain things allow it to rise, certain things don't, and then, using the same analogy, um, you know, we cut ourselves off from the, quote, cosmic supply. So, you know, if we have a reservoir and it's coming, you know, from the big huge cosmic reservoir we can cut off our ability to access it and then we feel there's a limited amount etc mm-hmm. and that cutting off to me is the definition of ignorance and that cutting off is an, is an energetic thing that we do a choice we make and I for whatever reason of grace you know understand the mechanics of how to turn that back on and the really simple things that we can do in each moment to choose love, which does not mean to choose to have more thoughts of love, affirmations about love, choose to be nicer to people. Those are great. But I'm talking about to choose to reconnect with our own field, that, that frequency of love, which people can viscerally feel, and we don't have to say anything.
0: Right. Barbara, so much of what you, what you are speaking of and what you have written about over the years... Is, very, uh, is not just some abstract sort of philosophical stuff. It's very practical to one's day-to-day living and living successfully and living in a, in a, in a life that one can enjoy. Uh, and I, when I think about that, I also think I got none of this in school, not in elementary school, not in high school, not in college or graduate school. Uh, how, how do you think, if you, if you were all, if you were in a position to uh, uh, advise uh those structuring uh, educational programs for kids of all ages. Uh, how might you incorporate what you've been teaching into an educational setting? Because I think this is the sort of stuff kids should be thinking about and taught right right from the beginning, and not through the, the Religions also are not doing it, but how, how do you do it in school as part of education?
1: Well, what a fantastic question, what a great vision, you know, if only from your mouth mm-hmm. to God's ears or goddess's ears. Um, you know, I, I've had to educate myself just because my nature as a human being and as an individual incarnation um, is to desire truth and wisdom. And, you know, when I uh, first began investigating this topic for myself, I realized, you know, no one teaches us anything about this. No one teaches us anything about love, relationships, communication, energy. Uh, how we modulate our energy, how we block, how we get disconnected from ourselves, how that ends up affecting us, our children, et cetera. And, you know, this is why I have threw myself and have been intensely dedicated to my career. And also, I want to say frustrated. Um, you know, I always, I always say, I wish there were 20 of me. And I, I don't mean that because I'm so fantastic and the world can be populated with me, but there's so much I want to do. There's so much I've wanted to do. Um, I'm just one little person. And even though I've done a lot, it doesn't feel like a lot to me. Um, I Another Barbara would have completely focused on creating educational systems, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to start teaching kids these things. Um, I'll, I'll, a, a quick little story about that. Years ago, I taught a seminar called Making Love Work in Los Angeles. I had a big center. And it was really, it was basically... Relationships, Love, Emotional Energy 101, and it was hugely popular. And I had a sub-seminar that I taught called Making Love Work for Kids, and it was for children from age 5 to about 11. And it was teaching them basic things about emotions and how their energy and about expressing things and about pushing things down. And this started out as the kids of the parents who were my students, and they loved it, loved it. No parents were allowed in the room. It was me and the kids. And it was fantastic. The word started getting out that this was happening. And I started getting calls from people who hadn't taken my seminar, wanting to enroll their kids because they heard from other people. And somebody would call and say, you know, I heard you did this great thing to teach kids about their feelings and about love and about, and can I enroll my child? You know, she's six. And I'd say, well, have you taken my seminar? And they'd say, no. I'd say, no, you can't. And they'd get really upset. And this went on for years where people parents wanted their kids to learn this stuff, but they weren't willing to do it. And it, it seems like an interesting comment on your question, Dennis, because mm-hmm. to me, understanding what we don't know is the beginning of wisdom and awakening. And that's why I first you know, sought out a spiritual teacher when I was 18, um, because I didn't know how to connect to my own source and how to understand the universe, and I couldn't live that way. And I was asking what I call the sacred questions, which I know many of your listeners ask who am I? What am I doing here? Why sometimes do I feel so enlightened or loving and sometimes so off? What's the difference? These questions when you're young torture you. You know, you feel like you're a crazy person. Thank God, you know, I found somebody who could answer them, you know, when I was eighteen and found my first spiritual teacher, you know, it saved my life, really. But there's a lot of people out there, including young people, as you say, asking those questions and no one's answering them. Mm-hmm. And so all of us, everything you're doing with your podcast, everything I'm doing, we're all trying, you know, as the myth says, you know, one of my favorite stories of all the, you know, all the different beings trying to help Lord Krishna hold up the world and they have their little sticks, you know, <laughs> and Krishna, mm-hmm. I have a beautiful, huge tanka on my wall in my living room that I got years ago of, you know, it's, it's literally as big as a wall with is holding up, you know, the, the, the earth. And then all these people with their sticks. It's a very classic Indian Mm -hmm. painting. Uh And I've always remembered that since I first heard my teacher share that story. Marishi Maheshogi. And, you know, I just have my own little stick and we all have our sticks. And those sticks are important. And so I agree with you. Um, It is frustrating for me to see people so completely uninformed, including uninformed about the fact that it is essential to create an interconnection with the source of who they are in order to have a successful life. And I end up, you know, a drug addict, a money addict, a whatever addict, you know, this is, this has been my life and I do the best I can. So I feel both fulfillment and frustration all the time.
2: So now speaking of fulfillment and frustration,
1: (laughs) which is a really good book title, which Phil and I
0: speak about all the time. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Marriage. Um, (laughs) the, um,
2: i was once at a party um, and there were a lot of very spiritual people including well-known spiritual teachers one of them had just come back from a month-long retreat and was just glowing and he was saying telling everybody in sight about all the spiritual breakthroughs and the transformations he had and how life would never be the same and blah 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 and someone whispered to me, let's see if he passes the spouse test. (laughs) And I'm guessing he probably didn't. So we know relationships can be difficult and challenging, as you indicated before. How, (laughs) in a few words, would you advise people, our listeners are very serious about their spirituality. They run, they have, unless they're, you know, we have swamis listening in, they have relationships, and those relationships are challenging. And how do you advise people to use those challenges to further their spirituality and vice versa? Um,
1: I love this. I could talk about this um, forever. I've written a lot about it experienced it. So the first the first understanding that I think needs to be changed is and I've written about this, that the purpose of a relationship is not to make us happy, it's to help us grow. Now that's like what you know, the purpose of a partner is not to make you happy. It's to help you grow. It's to show you every place you're not loving. It's to show you every place you have judgment. It's to show you every place your practice isn't grounded this foundational shift in understanding changes everything because the idea that somebody else is going to you don't want that to make you unhappy but that they're there to make you happy is going to be a roller coaster ride every single moment and it's and it's going to make you nauseous and it's going to make you unhappy to me um you know, there's there's some basic understandings of what, you know, relationships are about. The purpose is to help us grow, that our partner will illuminate all of our most needed lessons. Now, what does that mean? Um, Let's say that you are, you know, not a patient person and you are, you know, you like to do everything quick. And you somehow, somehow mysteriously find yourself married to somebody <laughs> who takes their time thinking about things, who can't quite, you know, isn't very decisive, who, you know, and, and you're thinking, this is here to torture me. Right. Maybe, or maybe it's there because you have a cosmic agreement with that person to teach you patience, mm-hmm. you see? Maybe it's somebody who, you know, um, you know, is very emotionally up and down, and you feel very steady. How steady are you when you're on that person's <laughs> emotional ride? So for me, and you know, I'm happy to talk to you about my own relationship journey completely. To me, the practice of learning how to be in that highest state of love, of compassion, of um, you know, the balance between wanting to help somebody and wanting them to be happy and not trying to fix them the investment in somebody else's energy versus your own, where the boundaries are, to me, these are cosmic, amazing attainments. Mm -hmm. They really are. And to me, being able to live with another human being or recover from another human being or find another, all the parts of it are the ultimate attainments because they hit that place where we experience somebody else as an other you see, I mean, true, you know, divine love is, you know, you are my own self. I am that, you are that, all this is nothing but that, you know, that's all that is. And suddenly there's somebody else and you're saying, you know, you are not, you know, I am this, you are not that, we are not this. And so to me, how to see and experience the highest in somebody at the same, I talk about this in the choice for love, can you hold your upset with someone, your, your your criticisms, the things you wish were different, and your love side by side. Can you make room enough for that in your heart? Can you be really upset with what somebody's doing and still have compassion? These are really high levels of attainment. To me, that's what we're supposed to be learning and, and I, you know, transmuting the impossible into love. I've, I've taught this to thousands of people. I practice it myself um, Pretty successfully, and it is hard because the idea, you know, and this gets into the whole that what is a soulmate? We could talk about that. You know, the idea that you know I used to have it when you know you guys knew me, first met me when I was eighteen, very idealistic, reading you know poetry to everybody and walking Mm -hmm. around with flowers and putting flowers in the National Guardsman's rifles at the University of Wisconsin. You know, I was like, isn't the universe just about love? Which is Somehow where I came from, wherever I came from, that's how I remembered things should be. And for me to learn what does love really look like in real time, in real space, and what does spiritual love really look like, that has been a lifelong process. And I feel uh, deeply fulfilled that I have gotten to a lot of you know advanced levels of attainment with it that are not always easy but are my highest spiritual practice.
0: Barbara, brilliantly put. And uh, stimulating, I mean, these are the kinds of things that I think people have to think about. And you know, you talk about the ultimate challenge, spending a lot of time with another human being and, and adjusting and readjusting and realizing your happiness doesn't come from them and you can't be <clears throat> dependent upon them for it. And at the same time, uh, you know, dealing with your own issues and. And uh, all along, uh, plugging into that energy that, you know, as you defined it, uh, love. Uh, your new book, and I just want to, before we close up today, I want to uh, focus on that a bit, The Choice for Love. What what, uh, what can readers expect to get from that book? Uh, uh, why would we recommend it? Why would because you recommend it? Because you're smart, that's
1: yeah. why. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're friends of Barbara. I yeah. know, no, no. <clears throat> um, I'm I'm really honest when I say this is the most important book I've ever written. Mm-hmm. It is the culmination of everything. If I didn't write another book, that would be okay, which I've never said in my life. And to me, this is a book about entering into a new kind of enlightened relationship with the energy of love itself. To be able to learn how to connect with that energy to start eliminating the things that are in the way of that, to do a lot of um, defrosting of the heart, so to speak, to learn how to dive into that pool of love, to understand how to bring love into both difficult situations, impossible times. One of my favorite chapters is called Digging for Gold in the Mud, you know, about how to bring love to our impossible journeys, how to start loving ourselves forward, understanding that, the relationship with our own field of love is essential for any not just relationship but any success in life that we are love is a vibrational electromagnetic force that people feel and that it's radiating out from us as physics tells us you know you know just enormous field around us that it's actually recalibrating people's physical hearts as we know now and that you know the, the greatest service we could each give to the planet, all of us who wish things were be, would be different, is to recalibrate ourselves to that energy and to be a what I call a living remedy, you know, to be vibrating as that, so that our vibration literally shifts the vibrations of other people. Mm-hmm. Not to talk about it, not to proselytize about it, but to be living it. You know, a living vibrational remedy, a walking blessing, an ambassador of that. Uh, That is real. It's possible. And the truth is, you know, when people say, well, you know, I'm I'm kind of staying out of everything that's happening now, there is no out. There is no out. We're all vibrationally connected. And not only that, there's no such thing as I'm not making a difference. We're all making a difference. The question is, what difference Mm -hmm. are we making in each moment with each thought? with each emotion with whatever's happening in your house is you are contributing that to the world right then. So to me, you know, love is the highest spiritual practice, it's the highest form of service, not as a mental construct, but as an experience and learning how to make the choice for it in all these different circumstances and I have a lot of mechanics for it. It's not a philosophy, it's practical. There's practical things people can ask themselves, how can I bring the most love to this situation right now, which pulls you into your highest self, you know, what would love look like right now in this particular situation, there's things that will recalibrate us to the fact that we do have the highest. So to me, it's a map that leads us both inwards and then outwards. And right now, now more than ever, Mm -hmm. to me, for every spiritual practitioner, anyone who thinks they are on a path of awakening no matter how much we think we've been healing, we need to heal more. No matter how much we think we've been integrating, we need to integrate more. We need to love more deeply, offer more, serve more, if we don't like what's happening on the planet. And that means,
2: this me, I'm sorry. This, sorry. Is the
1: time, this is the time we were born for and prepared for, but mm-hmm. it means showing up energetically and emotionally and doing the work so that we can say, I am vibrating at the highest level possible, and when I'm not, I do everything I can to shift, not just that I'm here you know, giving my proselytizing about what's happening on the planet. And, yeah, go for your question. <laughs> well,
2: it, it relates to that, Barbara, and it's very well said. I, I wanted to segue to this before we close. Um, there's a, a phrase in the press material for your book <clears throat> I wanted to uh, Talk about, speaking of putting flowers in uh, natural flowers and
1: <laughs> but
2: um, you, you talk about um, uh, the times we're living in, and you, you talk about uh, many people feeling what you call cosmic
1: grief. Yes. Yeah.
2: So please uh, tell us what you mean by that, and um, then we'll have to curtail, unfortunately,
1: I know. I'm hard to curtail, aren't I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be part one uh, in the series, yeah. The, um, to me, every spiritual practitioner, if, if you just got the choice for love and read about this, about cosmic heartbreak, you will understand yourself so much more. There, is, there are tears we cry for ourselves. There's tears we cry for the world. There's personal grief, and there's cosmic grief that many of us have been living with since we were born. And it is the sense of looking around and saying, you know, I'm on the wrong planet. Mm-hmm. Why are things this way? And the feeling of suffering because of what you see happening. To me, those, that choice in that moment, and for many of us, there is a turning towards that and a turning away. And to me, the turning towards it is a spiritual responsibility. The idea, and believe me, when you first knew me, I was like, I don't want to watch TV. I don't want any yeah, negative yeah. movies, you know, right. because my state, you know, is so delicate. And to me, right. you know, what does it say about your consciousness that you can't expose it to the hatred that's on the planet or anything else? To me, it is an obligation of everybody to, uh, to not deny the we. From me to we is mm-hmm. really what the spiritual growth should be about. Because any delusional separation and disowning of our ultimate spiritual vibration and relationship with everybody, that's the cause of the darkness of the world. Whether Mm -hmm. you're somebody who's there going, I'm going to kill these people because they don't believe what I believe, or whether you're somebody sitting somewhere meditating and saying, all that negativity has nothing to do with me. How are those two things that much different? They're both the denial of the we. The we means being brave enough to understand that the world is waiting for your love and your compassion to hold it, to embrace it and to bravely stand in the face of all of that with love.
0: Wonderful. When do we put Barbara, thank you so very much for your time. Uh, I hope you can come back on the show again sometime. Anytime. We have way more to discuss, uh, spirit matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our focus, contemporary spirituality, uh, Until next time, thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Barbara.
1: Thank you both so much and so many blessings for all the light you're spreading in the world.